Well, good morning, or good afternoon now. It's 12, it's noon. It's good to have everyone back, it's go, or it's good to be back. We were gone last week, and, um, and we got to experience a little bit of cool weather. I'm trying to wait for Eddie to leave the room to say we are trying to replace him, but he's hanging out there in the back. Eddie, sorry. It's your fault. You weren't supposed to hear that. Anyway, no, we, we, um, we were out of town last week, and so it's just good to be back. But really what I'm excited about is continuing the series that we're on uh, in the book of 1 Samuel. And it's just been a great journey to, to, to go through this book and just kind of uh, draw out some timeless principles. What can we learn from it? What can, what, what can change our lives from what we see in the book of 1 Samuel? And so today we're going to continue that journey. But before we do that, I just want you to know that if you didn't bring a Bible today, there are Bibles under the chairs in front of you. Uh, so you can grab one of those Bibles. And if you turn to the, the, the number uh, on the um, on the page for the notes where you can take your notes there in the worship guide, uh, the, turn to that page number. You'll be able to follow along with us and read right along with us. And if you don't have the Bible there uh, in a chair in front of you and you didn't bring one, don't worry. You can follow along on the projector right behind us. But so, so far what we have seen in the first book of Samuel is we've seen um, we, we, we've seen the story of Eli and Samuel, uh, Hannah and Paniah. We've seen the story of Samuel and, and Saul. And uh, last week we looked at the story of, of, of Sam, or Saul and David and uh, David and Goliath and that story. And we saw the victorious uh, triumph that David had. But what's really neat about the first book of Samuel is that it's, it's written with a literary technique that I think we're all pretty familiar with. And that literary technique is just compare and contrast. And so as you're reading through the book, what you're able to do is you're able to pick these characters out and just kind of read along in the story. And what you'll see is one paragraph is focused on Saul. Another paragraph is focused on Samuel or David. And it begins to correlate with one another where there's a compare and a contrast. And it's just showing you the difference between these leaders. And so for the title of this series, we went with Just Lead. And so we've been looking at different types of leadership. And we've been doing that by comparing and contrasting the characters we're reading about. And so it makes it very simple for us to read uh, the first book of Samuel and to just be able to say, okay, I'm going to make a, a pros and cons list, right? Uh, if you know how to make those at home, then you can do the same thing with, with just a, the contrast, compare and contrast, and just saying, uh, okay, what, what did we see in Saul? What did we see in David? What did we see in Samuel? What did we see in Saul? And you're able to start picking up on what the author is trying to highlight for you and me to be able to read and understand. And so for today, we're going to be handling chapters 18 through 20. Uh, we won't read the entire, all of the, the chapters because that's all we'll be able to do if we did that. We'd, we'd finish reading and say, we'll see you guys next week. But so we're just going to focus on certain sections that we feel uh, sets the setting for us. It sets the mood. It helps us understand what's going on uh, and then just kind of elaborates. And, and we're going to draw some timeless principles for leadership through those areas. And so, again, remember, it's a, it's a pros and cons list. Um, I joked in the first service that whenever we're making a big purchase, uh, a lot of us or some of us like to do a pros and cons list, right? It's like a, a large, a big screen TV. I want to go buy a big screen TV. The wife and the husband sit down, start drawing out the pros and cons list. And, and so the pros is just, um, well, I'm going to feel like I'm immersed in the game. That's how I'm going to feel. And that's the only pro there is to buying a big screen TV. 
The cons is I'm going to pretty much ignore my wife, ignore my kids, just ignore anything else that's going on because I'm going to be so immersed in what's happening in the big screen TV. Now, church, I say this because it happens to me, okay? I I know what that's like. I'm watching the Cowboys game, and my son is, poppy, 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 poppy. And my wife has to chuck something at me to get my attention. and says, your son is talking to you. Oh, I didn't know you were talking to me, son. I was at the game. I wasn't watching it at home. I was at the game, right? And so... It's the same thing. Again, we're kind of using that same technique here. We're going to compare and contrast two characters. But we're going to do something different because most of the times when you think of the book first uh, and second Samuel, first Samuel, we think and we see the lives of Samuel, Saul, and David. And those are the ones that we want to focus on. And every time we see David in a story, we we want to make David the, the, the main character but I'm, I'm going to propose to you today as we're reading this that we shouldn't look at Saul and David, but we should look at Saul and Jonathan and see how each of them led with a different disposition and a different heart and attitude. So, but before we do that, let's just go ahead and open up in prayer and, uh, and then we'll jump right in. Father God, we come to you with complete humility knowing and understanding that we are, we are but finite beings trying to understand an infinite being. So Lord, just with that, we know that we need the help and the direction of your spirit to illuminate, to help us understand, and not only understand, Father God, but to help us apply uh, your word in our lives. So Father, again, we come to you uh, humbly asking for your help and for your direction and that your spirit would speak to our hearts and lives and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the three things that we're looking at today is this, is the result of leading through fear, the result of leading with love, and we'll see the eternal reward of a loving leader. And so in my life, I mean, we've all experienced this. We've all had uh, different leadership in our lives. Uh, It starts at home with our parents. Uh, As we grow, then we have teachers. We have uh, school administrators. Uh, We have uh, supervisors, managers, owners. Um, We have coaches. We have different types of people in life that was meant to represent some type of leadership. And what happens is that a lot of times, because we're broken, we're all broken people, what we experience is the broken leadership. Most of the time, the leadership that we experience is faulty leadership. It's not good. Uh, Or it's good sometimes and bad others. Or it's good a lot of the time, but then the bad, man, when the bad comes, it greatly outweighs the good. And uh, Or there's other instances where we just experience really bad leadership and we can never find something good in it. Right? And so the, the, the issue is what type of attitude do we have and what type of disposition do we have in our own lives to lead with? Uh, what kind of disposition are they leading with? And so in this passage and in this, in, through chapters 18 and 20, we're going to see two people. We're going to see Saul and Jonathan. And there is a difference in the way that they lead. And hopefully that is going to help us gain a greater perspective of how we should live in this life. And all of us lead in some way or another. 
This message is for everyone because you can be a mother at home and you're leading your kids. You can be a father and you're leading. You can be at work and you're leading. You can be an owner of a company and you're leading. There's, there's different ways that we all are asked to step into some type of leadership. And again, the disposition and attitude with which we do so is important. And so that's what we'll see here today. So let's just go ahead and jump in the text. We'll go into 1 Samuel chapter 18. And this is what it says. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And just to give you some background, this is coming off of last week. Remember, Jonathan, I mean, David has this great defeat of Goliath. At the very end, Saul poses a question to Jonathan. He says, whose son are you? Jonathan very humbly says, I'm the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And so this, this as soon as, this time marker here is saying, as soon as that was done, then this happens. And so we see that Saul finishes speaking with David. Jonathan uh, begins to know David. They begin to, you know, they, they, they grow in friendship and brotherhood, and they, they love one another as friends. And so in verse 2 it says, And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house, speaking of David. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming out, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Hmm. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. Uh-oh. Here we go. He said... They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands, and what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. Mm. King Saul doesn't look very happy, does he? He looks a little upset, right? A little jealous. Uh-oh. This guy just finished killing Samson. I mean, uh, not Samson. He just finished killing Goliath. Must have had some great military exploits in that battle because he defeats Goliath and he goes out against the Philistines. And so when he's returning here, he says, after striking down the Philistines, so this happened right after that battle, they're already ascribing to, to David tens of thousands. Hmm. Saul's not happy, very upset. So let's jump down to verse 12. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but, he, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that, the, that, um, that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. So he's upset. He's a little bothered. Uh-oh. This young man is already getting more notoriety than I am. So as the story begins to unfold, we get to see uh, Saul's attempts um, to 
to destroy David, basically. And he does a couple of things in verses, in chapters 18 through 19. Um, he sets, tries to set David up, tries to take his life. And so what we're going to do is we're going to fast forward here to chapter 20. I think it all culminates here in chapter 20. Uh, remember, Saul is not happy. He's angered. He's what? He's fearful of David. Now, chapter 20, let's, let's read there. Let's pick it up there. Uh, then David fled from Naoth and Ramah, uh, Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it. You shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. So David comes to Jonathan and says, Jonathan, man, your dad's trying to take my life. What did I do? How did I, how did I sin against him? What's my fault? Jonathan, on the other hand, is a bit naive. Nah, that's not happening. I don't think that's happening. No, my, my father doesn't want to kill you. And so as, let's, let's keep reading here and see how this, uh, how this develops. Verse 3, But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes, and he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is a, but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at, at, uh, at table with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field till the, third day, till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked, leave of me to return to Bethlehem, his city, for, this, uh, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. And he says, and he says, if he says good, it will be well with your servant. But if he, if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, dear, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. So again, David is, is, is setting this, 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 press, this, uh, this truth, or he's just establishing the truth of, Jonathan, I've done nothing against your family. I've done nothing wrong. Why does your father want to kill me? He even goes back to saying, if I have sinned against your father, if I have done something wrong, kill me yourself. And Jonathan says, no, because there was nothing there. There was no reason for this. Uh, but what did we find out in chapter 18? He was jealous, but what he was what? Fearful. Of David. Let's keep reading. Bear with me. We're almost done here, and then we'll get to, to our points. And Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do harm the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safely. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. 
If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love for my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of your enemies, of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Now, so, so far what's happening is we've got established here that King Saul is angry, but he's fearful of, of David. He's fearful of something. And all, now we're seeing that King Saul has tried and he's attempted to kill David. David is setting his innocence. Jonathan, I've done nothing wrong. What's the issue? Jonathan, on the other hand, again, he's a little naive. He doesn't think that his father is trying to harm David. As a matter of fact, here in this passage when he says, let, let the Lord take vengeance on, on David's enemies, I really don't think Jonathan knew he was even talking about his father Saul. He just was saying, let this happen if someone is trying to harm you. But Jonathan was pretty much, uh, he was pretty much feeling that Saul was not trying to harm David. That, that was his feeling. He thought, no, my, my father's not trying to harm you because there's no reason for it. Uh, so let's, let's jump down and let's, let's see what happens. Remember he said, uh, the festival of the new moon if your father gets angry, then we know that he wants to harm me. So let's jump down and let's see what happens at that festival in verse 24 and on. So David hid himself in the field. And when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat as at other times on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite and Abner sat by Saul's side. But Jonathan's place, I mean, David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why has not the son of, of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now, if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger, verse 30, then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled a spear, his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. Let's jump down to uh, verse 40, 41 and 42. And as soon as the boy uh, had gone, yeah, as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face uh, to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and, and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because you have sworn both, both of us uh, in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. 
And so what we're seeing here is we're seeing two different people. We're seeing Saul and Jonathan. And right now, let's focus on Saul because we know and establish that in chapter 18, Saul was angered, he was jealous. But more than that, Saul was fearful of David. Saul was fearful of David. And so my first point today is that when I lead through fear, I'll desire harm on those who threaten my position. When I lead through fear, I will desire harm on those who threaten my position. Again, we could go back to that chapter in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Saul says what to Jonathan? He says, Jonathan, if we don't kill David, your kingdom will never be established. So Saul is definitely trying his best to take care or to try to, 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 to take the life of David. But why is he doing that? What is the purpose? We see that David is asking Jonathan, have I done anything wrong? Did I sin against your family? Jonathan can't find anything. David knows he hasn't done anything. But simply, the reason why Saul is trying to harm David is because Saul is fearful of a young man that he sees and he knows the Lord is with. You see, Saul had disobeyed God when he took and destroyed the, was, he was to destroy the people and the city and everything in, in, in Amalek. And so he disobeys God. God strips the kingdom from, from Saul. And he says that I've placed it on, on, I've given it to a neighbor of yours. I don't think he knows exactly who it was yet. But within this text, we start seeing that Saul starts understanding and realizing that the spirit of God is with David and the spirit of God is no longer with Saul. Saul was fearful of this young man because Saul was fearful of losing his kingship. He was afraid of losing his kingdom. He was afraid of losing that which he most desired, which wasn't God. Saul was not saying, I want to be with God. No, he knew that the Spirit of God had departed from him. Saul simply was trying to persevere, listen, what he had already lost. And by doing that, or the way he went about doing that, was simply to try to take the life of David. And you'll see it time and time again. Um, you see how uh, King Saul does, he, he tries to put David in situations that would take David's life. He tries to hurl a spear at him several times. But again, he does so because he's afraid of him. And so I know uh, some of us, we've experienced leadership that is led or that is, uh, is driven by fear. And when you see that leadership driven by fear, uh, what happens is when someone starts getting, uh, rising higher and higher, when someone, uh, when they spot someone who's more gifted than they are, what do they want to do? They want to get rid of them. See, we might not be like Saul trying to take someone's life because they're more gifted than us or because they're rising to more fame than us, but I tell you what we will do. We will say, man, I just, I really hope they don't get that promotion. I, I really hope they lose their job. I really hope I don't have to work with them much longer. And so essentially we're doing the same thing by trying and wishing harm on someone else because we're afraid of losing our position of, of well, whatever it may be. If that's at work, if that's at school, if that's at home, we, we're, we're afraid of losing that position. And because of that, we can sometimes be just like Saul and desire harm on someone. Most of you in here are just thinking, no, yeah, right, that's not me. I'm going to be honest with you. I've done that in the past. When I wasn't 
functioning within the love of God, when I wasn't functioning the right way? Absolutely. Why? Because I'm a broken person. I've done this. I've been guilty of this. I can't sit here and say that I'm, I'm not like Saul because there have been times in my life when I was like Saul. And I have said things like, man, I just, I hope they don't get that promotion. Or I hope they don't, or I hope they lose their job. I mean, literally wishing harm on someone's family simply so that I could be comfortable. Sound familiar? Come on, church. We, we've all had these thoughts before. We've all had that. So when I lead through fear, I'll desire harm on those who threaten my position. The second thing that we see in Saul is that when we lead through fear, I'll manipulate others. You'll be manipulative. I'll be manipulative. Saul tries to manipulate circumstances and situations and use his influence on people uh, as father or as king uh, in order to manipulate them to think that David is an enemy. When Saul tries to go in and kill David in chapter 19, he does so at the home of his daughter because David is already married to her. And when Saul finds out that David isn't there because Michael helped him escape, what does Saul say? Why did you help an enemy of mine escape? He's our enemy. He's trying to manipulate. He's using his influence to control the situation to get his outcome. As a matter of fact, before he even married Michael, uh, he, he thinks to himself, you know what? I'm going to give David my daughter in marriage. Now he's using his daughter and marriage as a way to manipulate the situation. Come on. And now he says, I'm going to give David my, my daughter in marriage. I'm going to promise my daughter to him in marriage, but I'm going to give him an impossible task first. He's going to have to go and bring me the foreskins of 200 Philistines. And his thought, because scripture says it, you can go back and read it in chapter 19, his thought was that David would fall by the hands of the Philistines. Manipulation. He's led by fear. And because of that fear, he's trying to manipulate the circumstances in the situation so that he doesn't lose what he doesn't want to lose. Manipulation. In, in chapter 20, what does he tell Jonathan? He, tells, he tries to use the kingdom as manipulation with Jonathan. He tells Jonathan, as long as he's alive, you're never going to be king. Your kingdom will never, will, will never be established. Ironically, right after that, he tries to spear Jonathan. Was he really concerned about the kingdom of Jonathan or was he concerned about his own kingdom? It was about manipulation. It was about trying to get the outcome he wanted instead of the true outcome that really needed to happen. Again, church, I pose the question, have you ever been guilty of manipulating circumstances, people in life? I guess I'm the only one today because I have. I've been guilty of that. Daisy knows it. She says I'm a sweet talker. I can manipulate. I, I can be very manipulative. If I'm not cognizant of saying, Lord, lead me with your spirit, lead me with your word, I can be a very manipulative person because why? I'm broken. I see this in my own life. And, and, and my hope today is that we can all see this in our lives because I can't be the only one that has tried to use these taxes, tactics because I'm afraid of losing something. 
The third thing that we see from, from Saul, Saul is, is willing to, uh, he'll only sacrifice for his benefit. Or I, when I lead through fear, I'll only sacrifice for my benefit. I'll only sacrifice for my benefit. You know, time and time again, what we see from Saul is Saul is willing to sacrifice his relationship with God and his future kingdom for what he wants now for his benefit. But you never see Saul doing it or making any type of sacrifice in order to save anyone's life or, uh, or to be able to benefit someone else. Saul is always thinking about himself. Saul always wants what he wants. That's why, that's why he wants harm on someone who threatens his position. That's why he's being manipulative because Saul wants what he wants and he's going to get it however he can get it. And he's willing to make sacrifices in order to get it. Hence, his relationship with God meant nothing to him. All right, Samuel, that's your Lord God. But you know what? I plundered the, the, the Amalekites. I got the riches in, from the Amalekites. I got what I wanted. He was a very manipulative person because he only wanted what he wanted, and he was fearful in his leadership. But now let's take a look at the life of Jonathan. And see, okay, so now we've seen the negative. We've seen what it looks like when we lead through fear. But let's see what it looks like when we lead through love. Do you remember in chapter 18, the way it led out, it said that Jonathan loved David, right? Takes off his clothes. See, when we lead with love, I'll allow others to lead. When I lead with love, I'll allow others to lead. Doesn't that sound much healthier? See, Jonathan, when he comes to love David, what does Jonathan do? He takes off his robe. He gives it to, to, to David. He, he takes off his, 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 he gives him his armor. He gives him his bow. He gives him his belt, his sword. He gives everything to David. Essentially what he's doing is he's saying, hey, you be the commander of my father's armies. You're more gifted than I am. You're a better warrior. Come on, you just killed a nine-foot guy. I was a little timid about doing that. You're better than I am. Here, you take it, you lead. See, because Jonathan was leading through love, Jonathan was able to spot someone who was better than him and not try to hold that person down. Instead, he was willing to give that person his position to say, hey, you're better than me, get it done. And what does it say right after that? We start seeing that David begins to experience great victories in these exploits. And, and it even says that Saul sees how victorious and how amazing David is doing. And he stands in fearful awe of David. But it began because someone loved David and decided that they would lead through love and decided that they were going to try to allow them to rise and give him a place, give him a position in order to lead. And so Jonathan does that with David. Now, a lot of times what we see in our culture today is we see people who are willing to do 20,000 tasks. And if you ask them why, they're going to say job security. The more that I can do, the harder it is for them to fire me. Right? And you do that at the expense of the company. You do that at the expense of the organization. You do that at the expense of your own home. You're horrible at managing finances, but you are determined to manage your finances. Right? Have you thought about that before? I'm horrible at having serious conversations with my kids, but I am determined to yell at them all the time instead of letting someone else who's calmer, like my husband or wife, do it. 
right? And so we're determined that we're going to do, we're going to do, instead of allowing and seeing that there's other people that are just a little bit better at doing that than you are. And if you would just allow them a position and a place like Jonathan does for David in love, then we, you know, you would benefit from those, uh, from, from that gifting, from that person. And so he does that with David and everyone is, benefits from that because David, again, he has tremendous uh, military exploits and everyone sees what he's doing. That's why the women came out and said, David has tens of thousands because they know that he was the commander of the army and he was doing a great job at it. The second thing that will happen when I lead with love is I'll see others through, the, through God's eyes. I'll see others through God's eyes. In chapter 20, verses 15 through 17, listen to what uh, Jonathan tells David. 15 through 17, he says this, And do not cut off your steadfast love for my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of, your enem- of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. See, Jonathan is doing something there. Jonathan is is identifying who David is. Not only has Jonathan identified that David is a great military commander, not only has he identified that, but he's also identified the place of David. He knows the Spirit of God is with David. He knows that the kingdom of David will be established. And therefore he says, look, your enemies, when, when God wipes off your enemies, listen to what Jonathan does, because it's not... It's not a minute point. He says, when God takes care of all of your enemies, David, don't forget about me. Show me your steadfast love. Now, later on, we'll see that Jonathan doesn't make it. Jonathan is killed in battle, and David weeps for that because he was a good friend of his. But then he says, but don't take your steadfast love of the Lord away from my house. And so later on, because Jonathan was willing to see this, grasp this, because he was willing to see David through the eyes of God, Jonathan saved his own son's life and his own son's perseverance later on in the story. When when David goes and he says, is there anyone left of Jonathan's clan? And his people said, yes, he has a son and he's a paralytic. Bring him to me. And he brings him into the kingdom. He gives him a home. He gives him a place. He gives him everything he, he needs. That person is taken care of. Why? Because Jonathan was willing to see David through the eyes of God and not through the eyes of fear, jealousy, and anger. Amazing, isn't it? Wow. I mean, can you imagine the impact that we could have in people's lives if we would just see them through the eyes of God instead of seeing them through our simple thinking? We say don't judge a book by its cover, yet we all do it all the time, right? We, we think a 10-second conversation with someone lets us know exactly who they are. Wow. Really? But when we look at them through the eyes of God, we know what God can do in the life of a person. And therefore, as we learned a while back, there's no man on this earth worth throwing away. No man, no person. When we rightfully understand that we're just as broken as them, the only difference is that we have the Spirit of God in us and the grace of God 
that God has given us through his son, Jesus Christ. So we see that he sees David through the eyes of God. The last point we see here is that when I lead through love, I'll sacrificially live for others. I'll sacrificially live for others. See, Saul was willing to sacrifice, but for his benefit. Here, Jonathan is not sacrificing for his benefit. Jonathan is sacrificing so that, so that David can live, knowing that there was nothing wrong in David. There was no reason for King Saul to, um, to destroy him. But let me pause here because a lot of times we think, wow, Saul was king. Saul had the kingship. He had the kingdom. He had a lot to lose. Jonathan did as well because Jonathan was the heir to the throne. You see, through this relationship and through this leading through love, Jonathan sacrificed his kingdom. He sacrificed um, his military position. He sacrificed his fame. He sacrificed everything that Saul wasn't willing to sacrifice. And he did so for David. And by that, he ends up saving his son later on. See, for Jonathan... Being a king and having the riches was not more important than understanding God's will, God's purpose, and leading in love and seeing that in someone else's life. And because of it, he was able to persevere his own house, his own home. But he did lose a kingdom. He did lose a kingship, and his throne was never established because God had already chosen David. Are you a person that sacrifices for your own benefit or are you a person that makes sacrifices for the, benefits of, for the benefit of others? Here's, here's a question you can ask yourself. Whenever I have a chance to make a sacrifice, to give something or to do something, is the first thing out of, in my mind what's in it for me? And if that's the first question you have, more than likely you're a person that sacrifices for your own benefit. Okay, I'll raise my hand. I've been guilty of that as well. All right? I have. That's a common question. What's in it for me? What do I get out of this? I mean, I, I've known people who, who give to a church for the simple reason of getting a tax break at the end of the year. What's in it for me? I mean, are you a person that sacrifices for your own benefit? Or like Jonathan, are you a person that lives sacrificially for others. See, Jonathan is a great example of love. He's a great example of, of how to lead in love. He's a great example of how God can use us in other people's lives. But he's only a glimpse of the better Jonathan, of the greater and better Jonathan. See, Jonathan sacrificed for David. He lived sacrificially for David because he knew there was nothing wrong in David. Christ he sacrificed knowing we were completely wrong. He gave it all up. He risked his kingdom. He risked his relationship with the Father completely. One misstep by Jesus, the man Jesus, one misstep and his entire kingdom and eternity with the Father was completely done, but he was willing to risk it and share his inheritance with you and with me. We look at Jonathan and we say, John, wow, that is an amazing love. That's an amazing friend. But we got a greater example. 
We have God come to, to, to earth to be man, to experience our hurt, to experience our pains, to live life in the most perfect way so that you and I who deserve the wrath of God wouldn't get it. We wouldn't receive it because he took it on the cross. It's but a glimpse of this man. It's but a glimpse of this savior and the amazing love that he has for you and me. That he didn't take equality with God, something to be grasped. But he made himself to come in the form of man knowing that his last, his last breath would be on this cross, knowing that he would give his life for those who deserved the wrath of God. He took on the complete wrath. Jonathan experienced the sort of separation when, when Saul takes the spear and he throws it at him. He missed Jonathan but when the wrath of God needed to be poured out, he didn't miss. It all came down on Christ. He didn't deserve it. It wasn't his fault, but he lived sacrificially so that you and I and so many others through the history of this world could have a chance to experience what he had already experienced. The greatest relationship with his father, the kingdom that his father has, so that you and I could experience that. If this is your first time here and you've never heard the gospel this way, because so many times we try to make it about what you and I can do, let me just put you at ease. There's nothing that you can do that will satisfy the wrath of God for sin. Nothing. Once we sinned, it's done. I can never work my way back into a relationship with him. But the good news the gospel is that the greater Jonathan, Jesus Christ, our Lord, did exactly what needed to be done so that we could have forgiveness of our sins. It's not about your works. It's about his. If we simply put our trust in him for the forgiveness of our sins, scripture says eternally your salvation, your life eternally is secure in the hands of Jesus Christ and the hands of our God, our Father. But it takes a person living and leading through love so that others can experience that. I know it's not fun to read these stories and, and, and to have to identify ourselves with the men we think are just completely screwed up. But the truth is, is that that's who we are. We're the broken ones. But by identifying that and seeing how God wants us to live and seeing what God, how God tells us to live, 
Through his mercy, we're able to make the change in our lives and begin to have a greater impact in other people's lives. How much of a greater impact can our church have? Can the universal church have if we led with love instead of fear of losing our position in our nation? We're, so, we're more caught up with losing our position in our nation than trying to reach people with the gospel of Christ. Church, let's lead with love and not with fear. And let's stand back and watch how God can transform lives because we are willing to submit to him and to his call in our lives. Let's pray.